Welcome to the Teachers Podcast, in association with Classroom Secrets, the podcast that's here to help teachers. Whether it's discussing the latest issues in education or sharing top tips for use in the classroom, if you work in education or want to know more about the sector, then this is the podcast for you. Now, please welcome your host, former teacher, life-work balance advocate and successful business owner, Claire Riley. Hi everyone and thanks for tuning in. In this episode, I interview Alison Philipson, who is an independent literacy consultant just up the road from us in Bradford. And I was really grateful to her for giving up her time in the first part of the summer holidays to answer my questions and give us all some great content. That's one thing that I'm really aware of. So some of the interviews I'm doing are with people from educational businesses. And as much as that's fine, they do need to be able to share something of great value. I obviously have an educational business myself and if my guests worked with any of my listeners as a result of their podcast interview, I'd honestly be delighted. But I'm committed to making sure that the listeners get good value from listening. I want you to walk away thinking of new things to try out in your classrooms and schools. Not walk away thinking, it's impossible to do that or we can't afford that service, why did we listen to it? There needs to be something in there that you can take away, even if you're not going to be buying into it. Anyway, rant over. You'll be pleased to hear that Alison gave us some really good advice and content in her interview. And because I wanted to make sure that we got the best out of our time with Alison, I actually sat with a small group from my production team, which is the department where all the ex-teachers work, and we came up with the questions together, drawing on our experiences in school and areas within English that we struggled with. I feel that it worked really well and I'll definitely be doing some more roundtable podcast question sessions with my team to make sure that we get the very best for you. Alison mentioned some free resources at one point to help you assess and you'll find the link to them in the show notes. Let's get to the interview. So Alison, thank you so much for joining me. Pleasure. Um, I'm really excited to... uh, pick your brains for all the interesting bits of information that you can give to our listeners. Um, So I think the first thing that would be really helpful, obviously we've had a conversation before, but everybody who's listening probably doesn't know anything about you. So can you just um, give me a detailed history of your teaching uh, experience or how you got into teaching, your journey through it, and then why you decided to leave? Yeah, and it's interesting that because I actually don't ever consider myself as having left teaching because it's that's why I'm here today because of my love and passion for it. Uh, I did leave the classroom quite right there. Um, and it is a reasonably long story, but I shall try and keep it as succinct as possible. Um, I studied English at uh, university. I always wanted to be a journalist or work in advertising. Um, so along the way, Obviously, two very difficult careers to get into. I've I've done a bit of everything. I worked in telephone sales, uh, worked in retail, I worked in finance, Mm -hmm. um, and then eventually I got a job in advertising. So I was really chuffed about that. Um, Really enjoyed it. Um, And then I was probably one of the last of um, the people who were able to give up work to have the children. That is actually what I did, gave up work to have my babies, have my two daughters. Um, And then during that time, till my eldest was eight, my youngest was six, um, I did all sorts of other things again. I worked in supermarkets, offices, just to bring money in. Uh, Then when they were at school, I started out as a parent helper, absolutely loved it. 
And I thought, do you know, I think I could like teaching. And um, the Open University were doing a course at the time, an 18-month uh, post-grad, mm -hmm. uh, which they, they only did for two or three years. I was very lucky. I managed to get on it. Uh, you found your own partner school. My daughter's school said they would have me. Handy. Yeah. Yeah, very handy. Um, and uh, that's how I got into teaching. Uh, my first job, um, which actually was my only job in the classroom, because I loved it so much, was at Denholm Primary. Oh, right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and um, I was there for 10 years. Um, but I, I, my career there wasn't stagnant. Um, during that 10 years, I became a literacy lead. And um, I also became a leading literacy teacher, which they had then. Mm. Um, enjoyed that, and through that, I was asked to do some consultancy work. Um, so I did that for a year, three days in the classroom, two years consultant, two days a week consultancy, uh, which was a great balance, actually. Both yeah, of them fed really into helped, each other. Yeah. yeah, but very hard, because I was always catching up on, yeah. on the job. You know. uh, so after a year, a full-time job came up, I applied for it, um, and I was there for nine years. I, I led the literacy team. I became the assessment lead in the authority and um, managing the key stage one, key stage two, SATs and the writing processes. Um, and then, as happened all over the country, uh, people made redundant, consultants yeah. made redundant. Yeah, it happened, it happened in Colby, I was on, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's happened everywhere. Um, but I wanted to be proactive. I didn't want to wait till I was made redundant. Um, so I decided to branch off and start my own business in consultancy. Mm -hmm. And this is my fourth year of doing that. Wow. So mainly in Bradford. Um, but a lot of the areas around here I've worked in Calderdale, yep. Leeds, Kirklees, been to Manchester. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's the first I've been so out. far. But I did have a query from um, Sussex last week. So, yeah, so I'm hoping to expand. Um, but, I, but I live it. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. Um, yeah, and, and I love it. And I still feel, it, it, wherever I am in the world, from on holiday, people say, What do you do? Don't they? I say, I'm a teacher. And I still mm. feel that is what I am. Yeah, I teach teachers yeah. and I still have an impact on children. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. I like that. You yeah. haven't left you haven't left no, teaching. No. Um so we had a, a bit of a research of you on your website. Oh yes. And, and um <laughs> we saw that you talk about modelled shared and guided mm. writing. So what is that? Yeah, that's a question I'm often asked. There's a lot of confusion around the different writing strategies. Um, model writing is probably the most difficult of strategies um, for teachers and children because that is where the teacher um, is modeling the writing process for the children. So the children have to sit back, mm -hmm. which they do find difficult because they like to contribute, which is great, but this is for them just to watch what it's like to be a writer. Yeah. And that is a tricky bit for teachers because teachers have to be writers and yeah. it's not always their passion, is it? Not always their specialist subject. Uh, I remember when I was an NQT, I used to have it actually all written out next to me on a piece of paper. The children didn't know that yeah. and pretend it was coming off the top of my head. You know, you have to have strategies like that. And also, it doesn't matter if you do make a mistake. It, that is what you're modelling to children. I think I'd need that because I like writing, but I just don't feel like I'd stay within the parameters, especially at that mm. time when it was like, you have to get this bit in, you have to yes. have a fronted adverbial. Exactly, and I'm thinking, yeah. I don't want to write that, it's not coming off <laughs> the top no, of my head. No, so it's a way to model how to um, use the resources in the classroom as well, as well as what's in your own head. Um, so, so it's a really powerful part. If you think about any other profession, uh, plumbers, electricians, you're watching people do it, aren't you? And then you're having a go. Um, you can't just hear somebody talk about it. 
Uh, so the model rights being very, very powerful. Then the shared rights, and there are two aspects to that. Um, the first one is um, you've been the scribe for the children. So they can then contribute. So they might talk to each other, they might have ideas themselves. You will take their ideas, but then you will put it into the writing. Mm -hmm. So you might start with modelled and then say, right, it's time for you to have a go now. Um, and then there's the supported composition where they actually have a go themselves. They might have a whiteboard. I want you all to have a go at writing the next sentence. Um, and then, t again, taking a few ideas, putting it into the writing. Um, you know, it's, a, it's an important process. And then, sorry, we... we yeah, I was just yeah. going to say, so, is that... So, shared, modelled, guided, is that something you do in one lesson, like in one session, or is it like you do your modelled one day and you do your shared another day, your yeah. guided another day? Yeah, it's whatever feels best, really. I think um, I would always start with modelled, no matter what, and it might naturally evolve into some shared, and that's what you might plan to do. Or you might think, one day I'm going to focus on the modelled, because um, obviously you don't want to be, have them sat there listening for too long. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the next day, we might carry on with the same piece of writing, but yeah. they're, they're contributing. Now, guided writing is something um, that was really prominent in the late 90s, early 2000s. And, and with some schools, it's fallen off the end. But I'm absolutely passionate about guided writing. I do feel it accelerates the progress of children. Mm -hmm. And that, you can have that any time during the writing process. But it's about bringing children together who need the same thing to move them on. Um, they, could, they might not be in the same ability group, but you've noticed from the day before that is something that they're struggling with. And I see it as a mini lesson within a lesson. So you always be working with children during an independent time. But you're sitting with a group, you have your learning objective, the reason why they're there, a little bit of modelling again. You can have modelled within, guided. Uh, they have a go. And then they're looking at their own writing to make their own editing. I mean, teaching a small group, obviously, is better for children yeah. than being in a whole class situation. You can see exactly what their needs are at that point, And they can ask questions if they're stuck. So all three of those strategies are immensely important to the outcome, you know. That's yeah. really, thank you. <laughs> I'm like, wow, I'm, sc I'm being schooled here. <laughs> right, so this, um, this question, so I sat down with uh, some of the team from Classroom Secrets, mm -hmm. especially ones who have just left teaching, and this is one of the questions that uh, they came up with. It's actually mainly Nicola. Right. Um, so she says, spelling is a bugbear for most teachers. Mm -hmm. So how do you approach spelling as a whole school and then what strategies have you got to um, help the children who really, really struggle with it? Yeah, well, as a whole school, um, I'm a fervent believer that you never learn how to spell um, unless you have practice, practice, practice. Mm -hmm. Practice with combining letters to make words, having a go, investigative work. Uh, it's like anything, really. As adults, um, you don't learn anything unless you have a go day in and day out. This might sound a bit odd, but people who come on my courses will have heard this analogy. I liken it to myself putting a tent up, which I don't do ever. But I go camping, but I always watch other people do it because well, my partner likes to put the tent up. Yeah. But every time we go camping, which is probably only twice a year, I watch him put a tent up. doesn't mean I can do it. Okay. He'll even tell me what he's doing. doesn't mean I can do it. Yeah. But if I had a go and he guided me through it, um, and then I, I did it every day for a week... I would be able to put it into it and have to keep revisiting yeah, it. Yeah, I know you're right. I, yeah. I do that a lot of things. Yeah, like, it's not like anything. Just enjoy it. <laughs> yes. I'll watch. Well, yes, exactly. And, and that can happen with spelling. You, you know, children can zone out. They, they might not get it. Um, so when I've worked with schools to develop whole school spelling, um, 
we, we always talk about revise, teach, practice, apply, like the phonics. Um, it works with anything, you know, grammar, writing. So um, across a week, I would have 10 or 15 minutes spelling a day. And that, that is definitely what's going to do it. A little bit of teaching around the current, the rule, prefix, suffix, whatever. And then three full days of that 15 minutes of them practicing and working with that uh, rule. Um, and then applying it either in dictation or a test um, at the end of the week. Or it might be across the unit. But I definitely think spelling every day is what's going to get that, yeah, the children to where they need to be. Now, as far as children who really struggle, because some do, it's a real block, isn't it? Some adults do. Yeah. And, and it does prevent them getting to where they should do in, in writing and in the grammar test at the end of year six. Um, that is about the kind of support you use for them in the classroom. Um, I work in lots of schools and some teachers aren't aware of the assessment guidelines around spelling, which is that they can use peer support. They can't ask the teacher, but they can check their spellings with each other. So mixed ability groups are absolutely the way forward. Um, supporting each other, passing the books around the table, having a look, you know, may, and encouraging children to support in a way that says, um, yeah, you've got that wrong, have a go. It helps the higher ability because they're explaining mm -hmm. how things are, spe are spelled. Um, having word lists on the table, word banks, generating word banks, putting them on the wall, all of that is still um, classed as independence within the classroom because they're looking for their own support. Um, so, so that you know, suitable for everyone, but also especially for those children who really, really struggle. And of course, they could go down what came out a couple of years ago, the particular weakness route, where if they are good at everything else, you've put all the support you can in, but they still can't spell, then you can class it as a particular weakness at the end of year two and year six. So why not in the year groups in between as well? Oh, yeah. That's yeah. A good point. Yes. Um, I feel like you've kind of answered this question, but I'm just going to throw yes, it out yes. there anyway. Um, so how often do you think children do lose unnecessary marks in the SATs? And, you know, how can that be combated? Well, um, as far as the SATs go, it's a spelling test. And obviously that's a big chunk of the spelling and grammar test. Uh, so, so that's an issue. But I think the biggest issue is writing, the writing assessment. Because if the spelling isn't where it should be, doesn't matter what else they're doing, yeah. you know. And I, and I think sometimes, I'm a moderator as well for the uh, for Bradford Authority, and, and, and it's awful having to say to a teacher, yes, yeah. you know, they've got great ideas, the punctuation's there, the grammar, fantastic, but the, the spelling's not there. Yeah. So I think it's something to address across school, yeah. start really low down so that you don't have that issue when you get to the end of year six. Yeah which it's a shame that Scope is working towards the secondary, which actually puts a really bad picture on them as a writer. They probably are yeah. quite a good writer, but they just struggle with spelling. Yeah. yeah. So what's the number one area for development that you actually find that schools mostly need? I think it is um, the development of writing, um, and I did allude to this earlier, the development uh, or supporting teachers with developing themselves as writers. Right. Yeah. That's something I, I do work on in school. Um, you know, and, and I don't mean that to sound patronising. I just think 
it's hard. It's really hard to write. And you said before that, that you write, you like writing, but, but actually modelling it for the children. Yeah, thinking of it exactly. on the spot. Yeah. The pressure's yes. there. Yeah. And it's always been my thing, literacy, English. Uh, but it's hard. It's a hard thing to do. You know, and I think teachers get reading more because most teachers are readers. You know, I don't think mm. I'm exaggerating there. We read for pleasure. So we, we get it. Whereas... Um, not I, I often ask on my courses who writes for pleasure mm. and very 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 few people put their hand up it's mainly um we write lists you know we write we plan we might write waggles for the classroom you know what a good one looks like uh, but we don't write for pleasure so so it's mm. it, we don't practice we don't do it day in day out uh, one thing i've tried recently is actually writing with children and i do find that um that that is really quite powerful. Yeah. I write what the children are expected to write, and then we compare. Yeah, I, I only yeah. do this in small groups, and I do some yeah. tutoring. Um, but I think that that's something to do, and I think it's having that whole school focus on teachers becoming writers. Yeah. Um, so so yeah, I do think that is a more, more of a development point. Plus, another one is again something I mentioned when we we're talking about spelling is that giving the children time to practice. And I think sometimes this is what we've got to teach. It's all there. We think, oh, I've got to do all this by the end of the half term or the term. Um, and, and it's easy to do. I know, I did it myself. Um, you plan, I'm going to do this this day, that that day, that yeah, the other yeah. day. Uh, you know, and it's just thinking, actually, it's all about the pace of learning, mm. not the pace of teaching. Yeah. Um, they, they learn so much more if you give them time to embed and practice and then they're in a really good position to move on to the next bit of learning and the curriculum as it stands now is actually the best curriculum for that because it's not about pushing them into the next year group mm. um, it's about broadening within yeah. um, so that they absolutely embed the statements for their year group and then they are in a really good position to, to move on to the next learning in the next year yeah. group so that's a lot of what I work on in schools yeah I was yeah. just thinking going back to your first point where you're talking about you know teachers actually doing it as well and I think yeah if you don't have the answer book for um, a maths textbook mm. you do all the maths questions mm. but you never do the literacy no absolutely or the English. you never do that part of it so that's a really good point sort of yes actually doing it and I think you know at Classroom Secrets, we create resources, and one of the things that has to happen in proofreading, because um, I think at first when proofreaders come in, sometimes they think that they're just going to read the questions, and it's like, mm. no, you have to do them. Yes. You have to work out if yes. the question actually works and Absolutely. things like that. Um, and yeah. that is always um, like a surprise mm. to them. But yeah, we should be doing the writing as well. Yes. We should be doing yeah. the writing and working out what they've actually got to do. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay, so. How do schools compare then with the kind of support that they need or the levels of support that they need? Yeah, I can honestly say that just like in the classroom where you probably don't ever teach the same lesson twice, I've never um, delivered the same training or the same package within a school. Right, right. Obviously, I have my things. Every consultant has yeah. their, their, their passions and things that they've developed. Um, but I always work within the context of the school. Some will come to me and say, right, we nearly really need to improve writing or reading in school. Um, and it's very strategically thought through. Um, and it might go across a year and it, and it might involve all sorts of different things, training as a whole staff, working through its planning in the classroom. Mm. Others might say, look, we just need um, a two hour twilight, a refresher yeah. on phonics. 
Um, so, so it does completely vary. Others, it might be assessments. Um, it might be working with NQTs. It might be that I worked with them two years ago and then they've got a few new staff, so it's going to skill them. Um, but it can, it's anything, anything and everything really to do yeah. with English and assessments. Yeah. yeah. So do you always, do you always sort of implement your approach or sometimes do you do what the schools have ambitions for? Um, a bit of both really. Often they will ask me what I advise and I'll tell them my approach. But quite often as well, they'll say, well, we use this, we use Talk for Writing, we use Accelerated Reader, um, we use this programme, that programme. And then I'll look at them and I'll see how my um, way of planning English fits into that or how theirs fits into mine. And then I will look at it and adapt it. Um, I never say, right, throw all that out and just do it, do yeah, it my way, yeah, never. Yeah. Um, you know, I do appreciate that they've already got things going and I, and yeah. I think, you know, keep what works yeah. and adapt it to work even better. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so I'm, I'm not saying that marking maths is easy. I'm absolutely not saying that at all. But one of the things about maths is that it's either right or wrong, isn't it? Yes. Um, and with... With English, it's so subjective. So how can schools make sure that they're not over-inflating or under-inflating the levels or the marks of the, of the children? Yeah, it has, um, has been very subjective. But I think where we are now, I was talking about this curriculum. Um, luckily, it, it's actually much less subjective than it has ever been because the statements in the curriculum are what makes a child age-related or not, because they have to meet all of them across um, a range of time or work. Um, so, so the curriculum are the statements. You know, it, that, that is what teachers need to work to. Uh, it's not best fit anymore, where it used to be when we had levels one, two, three, you know. Um, and what I often get asked is, Yes, we know what is age-related end of year two and year six because there's so much out there. Mm -hmm. there's, there are the assessment grids, there's the exemplification, the assessment frameworks. What do the, uh, does year one, three, four and five look like? What's age-related there? Um, which is why I've put my assessment grids together to match what's happening in the end of year two and year six. With the principles being that working towards the previous is the previous year group's learning and working at is simply the statements on the curriculum. Nothing else, nothing that people have said, oh, they could do a bit of this, a bit of that. Um, and then greater depth is greater depth within that year group. So, so actually, you know, if the teachers have a good knowledge of the curriculum for their year group, um, that, that's all they need. And mm -hmm. children should meet all their statements across um, a range of uh, different contexts. So, so it's actually, it should be easier, really. I know it isn't necessarily, yeah. but it should be. So those grids that you've created, are they uh, accessible to people who get you in or have you got them on your website? They're on the website. Yeah, I'm not precious about any of the material that I've produced. It's there okay. for anybody to use. It's so free. So <laughs> that's in the, in the show notes and then... Yes, that. Yeah, that yeah, that would, yeah, that would be good. And I'm actually, and I'm not about plugging things, I'm just telling you what I'm working on in my own time this holiday, um, working on some exemplification to match those grids for the other year groups. Oh, wow. other than Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. So hopefully by the time this is out and they're going back to school... Well, that's my aim. There. That is my aim, yes, yes, the end of August. Okay, I just wanted to sort of throw this question in because yeah. I just had a, a memory. Um, so you mentioned about... Uh, Going, uh, wanting to go into journalism and things. Mm. 
how does that affect sort of your English teaching? Because, you know, you've been in that environment. What, you know, do you sort of teach them in a certain way? Because I just think there's not many jobs where the kind of things that you learn in English, like how to write certain texts, mm. is actually <laughs> sort of no, useful. No, it's right. But that is one it? job where yeah. you actually used it. Yes. You know? So yes. do you approach it in a specific way? Um, that's an interesting question because um, subconsciously I may do. I know I'm very aware of the purpose of writing and the audience. I'm, I'm very aware of that rather than just getting criteria in because obviously I've had to write for an audience myself. I know in, in years gone by I've, in the classroom I've definitely talked about, uh, so say we're writing persuasively, I've then talked about what I did for a job, you know, mm. and, and said, well, I've had to do that, actually, you know, and, and we've looked mm. at adverts and things like that, and yeah. I know the children have been really interested in that. So I think it's a bit of, of both, really, you know. I, I don't think it probably has changed massively how I write myself, um, but I have been able to use it to show children why why there is this writing out there, why we do have to write, you know, the different purposes, mm. and it's not just something we do at school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there are yeah. actual jobs. There might yes. not be a lot of them, but there are actual yes. jobs. And of course, I did get the odd boy who said, well, I won't need to because I'm going to be a footballer. So then I have to go, you know, you're only a footballer for a certain amount of time. Oh, you know, think it, about what you, you might know, do later. your life plan exactly, that, yeah. backup plan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, this is it. In fact, I actually um, talked to Laura Lodge, who's also oh, an yes, um, um, English literacy consultant, and um, she was talking about reading, and, and she made a really good point that, you know, you might say that you don't need maths, and you might say that you don't need... Um, writing but one thing you definitely need is you definitely need reading Absolutely. because you're not going to be able to get on in life no, even no. if you're a footballer yes yes so yes exactly that's a really good point yeah um so obviously you've told me that you don't feel like you've left teaching yes but would you ever go back into it I would you know I have I have actually seriously considered it going back into the classroom yeah um, I have really missed working with children I do try and get to work with children as, as often as I can but I do love what I'm doing um, and I try to think of um, all the children, all the teachers I work with, their children as kind of my children. Obviously, I don't have the direct impact. So this year I did address that and that's why I started doing some tutoring. So oh, that's actually right, yeah. ticked the empty boxes for me um, because I'm working directly with children, seeing the impacts on one or two children. Yeah. Um, they, again, they link quite nicely with each other. So I'm trying things out that I'm talking that, to teachers about. That, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and then I'm thinking, oh, actually, that could do with a bit of adapting, you know, yeah. and, and then I can take that back into my training. So, so I feel, you know, that's fine. But I absolutely would not rule out um, going back into the school environment and the classroom. But at the moment, I do live what I'm doing. Brilliant. Mm. A lot of people have said yes. Yeah. yeah. I think you have to. <laughs> yeah, yes, you would. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, I think to do what I'm doing, you have to live teaching because you, you wouldn't be passionate yeah. for the teachers. Then, well, you? this is it. And, and yeah. you're working directly with them all the time. Mm. Um, so this is a really hard question. And I ask everybody this. <laughs> but how would you solve the life-work balance problem if you could just make wave a magic wand? Yeah, that is a really tricky one. Um, and obviously working with a lot of teachers, um, I can see different contexts. And, and I do fervently believe that it comes from within a school of philosophy mm. and the trust um, for the leadership team with, of, with the teachers. But having said that, I do know that the pressure on certain schools and leadership teams is immense. 
um, and and there have to be certain expectations. Um, but I think one of the expectations, and I know we were talking about this earlier, is um, that as long as the work is done and you trust the teacher to do that work, um, perhaps make it less prescriptive because that is what causes the most stress for teachers. Yeah. That there are other things in their lives going, going on. on. Yeah. Um, and, and you have to be all singing, all dancing. You can't just have a quiet day at your desk if there's something big going on at home. So I think it's that understanding. In my career, I've been really lucky to have supportive leadership teams that has, you know, that I've then taken as well mm -hmm. to when I've managed teams. And I think that's how you get the best out of your teachers, isn't it? There's no quick win. As far as the teacher's concerned, what I thought when I was in a classroom was, yes, there are certain hoops you have to jump through, mm -hmm. but there are other things that are up to you, and it's about managing those effectively. And maybe you're not putting them as high up. Absolutely. Level. You never finish your work when you're a teacher, ever. ever. So it's about you saying, I'm going to finish at this time or when I've done this. Yeah. Yeah. I often do think as well and reflect back. And I think if I was still in teaching now, I'd have been teaching a long time, maybe about 13 years. Mm -hmm. um, and I do think that I'd have had to come to a point where I just knew that that wasn't important and I just wasn't going to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas I probably, like a lot of teachers, especially at the beginning, like everything's got to be perfect. I need to do yeah. this. I need to do that. I'll just it's finish absolutely. that. Um, and mm. I suppose a bit more guidance on that might be helpful from schools. You know, yeah, exactly I think what so. you do need. Yeah, and I see. I go in schools where it really is a top priority staff well-being, and I think that's absolutely brilliant, um, especially for like you say, new teachers who who don't they haven't got the experience to know what's important, what's not important, what to prioritise. Um, and then that, that, they leave, don't they, then, after a year or two years? Good this teachers. Is it. And, and it's yeah. saying those things to them, it's just made me think now. So um, one thing that I say to, to my staff, like especially my uh, senior managers, because they work closely with me. I remember just last week, um, so one of my senior managers, she, um, she was going out for the day on a course. She's actually a governor. And uh, she says, um, but I don't have to set off till 12, so I'll just nip into the office for two hours. And and I just said, why? Yeah. Why yeah, Why exactly. do you need to do that? Mm -hmm. Just stay at yeah. home. Um, mm -hmm. But then it's the head teacher being able to mm -hmm. sort of, or the senior leaders go, well, mm -hmm. do you really need to do yeah. that display? Yes, um, yes, exactly. Again, yeah. Or could, you know, would it be okay? Yes, it's about creating that ethos within school, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Cool. Um, so I'm going to ask you some quick fire questions Ooh. now. <laughs> Who was your favourite teacher and why? Um, well, that I think I'd have to say. Now I moved. I moved around a lot. I, I went to um, about ten different primaries because of my father's um, job. Um, but there was one teacher particularly when I was eleven. He was a head teacher actually, um, and he just made me feel like. Um, you know, so safe, secure, you know, obviously moving schools when you're that age, yeah, you know, that must have been really and hard. I thought he's a head teacher, but he knew every child in the school, mm. and I thought that was, that was so important, and again, I've taken that um, with me into my own teaching, um, you know, practice, because, um, you know, if you feel valued, mm. and, and that you're important, you are going to learn, aren't you, you're going yeah. to get to where you need to be, and you're going to do a good job, yes, absolutely, absolutely, yeah, and, um, so what do you wish you'd known when you first started out in teaching? Well, um, exactly what you just said. Um, that I wish I'd known that I didn't have to dot every I, tick every box to be a good teacher. You know, And the, the time that you're in that classroom in front of the children, 
engaging with them, um, that is key to children learning. Yeah. And and like we said before, a lot of the health philosophy of education is going a little bit that way now, and, I, and I'm really pleased, you know, less planning, less marking. I'm, I'm really a big fan of that. Um, but yeah, I wish I'd known that then, then I probably wouldn't have been quite so stressed, but like I said before, luckily I did have a good management team that supported me through that. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think it's and I'm still here. Yes, you're still in <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. Unlike me. <laughs> you're still um, here, just in a different way. Yes, in a different form. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was meant to be. Yeah. Um, so what are the three biggest changes that you think that you've seen in education um, during the time you've been in Ooh, it? Right. Um, well, I started teaching in 1998, just when the national strategies came about, mm -hmm. um, and the literacy hour, I don't know if you remember that. I remember it from my mum's point of view, because yeah. she was, oh, in, that she was a teacher, but not from, well, I was a secondary teacher first as well. Okay, so. okay. Yeah, um, and yeah, that was a strange thing, actually, because that was, you know, yeah, yeah it was divided, this hour was divided into three um, bit of reading, 15 minutes, 15 minutes of grammar, 15 minutes of writing. But the three didn't have to be linked. And even then, as a new teacher, I thought, well, that seems a bit odd to me. Um, but luckily, again, I had a, um, a head teacher who thought exactly the same. And if you could prove your methods worked as well, um, then you were allowed to kind of, you know, ditch it, the literature yeah. a bit. Um, and that didn't, they didn't stay in that long, but that is a, a really big change. Mm -hmm. um, I think another change um, is, of course, the role of the teaching assistant. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when I first became a teacher, that, you know, there were helpers in the classroom in that they, they you know, they got things, resources ready for you, they put up displays, they washed pots, and then they became an absolutely invaluable resource not paid, you know, a tenth as much as I think they should be paid. Um, teaching, they were teachers, weren't yeah. they? And now, unfortunately, so many schools are going to now, they, they, they've got fewer and fewer because yeah, of the school yeah. budgets. Um, really sad, really sad, you know, and like, because I think a lot of them had a big impact. Um, but, you know, that, that's a big change that's still evolving now. And then I think the last big change is one that, again, we've kind of mentioned, and it's kind of in the early days of it, and that's the, um, you know, the no more marking thing, isn't it? The less marking, um, live marking, much more powerful, yeah. less planning, because, again, it's much more powerful, the teaching that you do in the classroom, um, the work-life balance. And, and I think there are big steps being taken, and, and I'm hoping that will be a change that, that, you know, in five years' time, we'll go, yeah, that, that was the way forward, you know. Hopefully. I do mm. feel like um, schools and leaders have been a little bit more brave. Yes. Um, so I've got a friend uh, who's at a school, and she hasn't told me the whole thing yet, and I'm trying to find out a bit more and possibly get somebody in for a podcast, but she talked about um, sifting, so you don't even mark the books, you just look at them. Yes. And then you put them in piles, yes. Yes. and then you plan the next day. Yeah, like, that sounds amazing. I'm a big fan of that. Yeah. And it just seems, it's so much more relevant, isn't it, than sitting and spending absolute hours writing comments on the books yeah. because it's directly informing your teaching. And yeah, I know a few schools who do that and I think it really yeah. is the way forward. Yeah, because yeah. I am interested to find out mm. more about that particular yeah. marking policy because it does sound, does sound something like I would have liked. Mm. Um, so who's your inspiration within education? Um, I think who who um, supported you as you were training and as you were a new teacher has a big impact on the kind of teacher that you eventually turn out to be. And I was lucky enough to have um, two fantastic mentors 
um, a mentor when I was training through the Open University in, in my partner's school. She was the deputy head then, but came to be a head. Um, an absolute role model. And again, putting children at the heart of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my first, um, the head teacher, when I went to work at Deno, it wasn't the first head teacher who was there, but eventually, you know, and she again was exactly the same. And what she had, as well as putting children at the heart of everything, she um, trusted the teachers, mm-hmm. you know, whatever I did, um, she would say, oh, yeah, I think you're doing that because this is, am I right? You know, just because I didn't put success criteria on the planning because there was a box. She says, but you're developing that with the children, aren't you? Yes, I am. Thank you very much. You know, and she'd just let you get on with you what you knew was right in the classroom. And again, you know, that's, I've taken that it's with a me. question, isn't it all? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so thank you to those two. Oh, good. <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed good. to say the name, You actually. can say the names, yeah. yeah. So that was, that was Mrs Craven at Cross Flats, Hilary Craven and Margaret Parker at Denham. And hopefully yeah. they're listening. Yes. We get a lot of shouts out on this podcast, you know. Do you? Right, OK. Yeah, do, yeah. Well, someone who knows them might be listening, so this thank you it. to you two. Yeah. yeah make sure you listen. Yes, yeah. <laughs> now you're famous. <laughs> Um, where do you think education needs to go in the next 10 years? Um, well, again, I think, I think it does need to come a lot on the teachers, trusting the teachers, um, trusting them for the time management, how they teach the children, um, interact with the children. Um, and again, you know, I can't come back to that often enough, the, the live marking in the classroom, the not reams of planning, filling boxes just because they're there, yeah. because that is how um, we're going to keep education going, you know, because there's oh, yeah. so many teachers leaving, aren't there? L- loads and loads, and, and, yeah. and that eventually does have a massive impact on the children, doesn't it? It, it does, because, yeah. you know, there's nobody experienced left, and no. also I think with the planning, Sometimes, if, you, if you've got to fill in so many boxes, you don't end up doing half of it because you forget exactly. what's there. Or it's you, not appropriate you, at the time. To yeah. me, it always felt a bit like, um, you know, when you're on stage, mm. and it's like, I don't really have time to like look yeah. at my notes and ah, no, you no. Know, sort of keep it going. Yes, exactly. Um, so last question then. Who did, what did you want to be when you grew up? Well, um, I, I didn't want to be a teacher, which is really strange. <laughs> to be honest, I mean, most teachers didn't. <laughs> no, it's funny. Um, yeah, no, I did, like I said, I wanted to be a journalist. I always wanted to be a journalist. So, in a way, I'm still writing, aren't I? I write, yeah, yeah. you know, and that's what I wanted and to do. And you're teaching others to write as yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. It's been really, really informative, and I think... Um, I think the teacher's just going to take something really valuable away from it and definitely going to put those uh, resources in the show notes because I think that'll be really helpful. Great, well, thank you. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks, Claire. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I, for one, was impressed with how much Alison had to share with us and I'm sure many of you have already downloaded her grids. I'd really love to know if any of you try out any of Alison's strategies with your children and how they get on with them. I have a Facebook community called The Teacher's Podcast Community and you can give me your feedback in there. I've got some great educational influencers and authors coming up. Just this morning, I had an update meeting on the exciting guests that we're booking in. I'd love to know who else you want to hear from and the questions you want me to ask them. The episode is live on YouTube as well, so don't forget to subscribe to our channel. And if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast too, and I'd be really grateful if you could leave us a review. See you next week! 
Thank you for listening. The Teachers Podcast is in association with Classroom Secrets, a provider of high quality and affordable teaching resources that children love and teachers trust. To find out more, visit classroomsecrets.co.uk.